All right, we are going to get started. Colonel, Colonel Hearn, have a seat, please. That's the first time I've ever told a, told a colonel to sit down. <laughs> I felt kind of good. Um, all right, well, we are going to get started, everybody. If you don't have a sheet of a, a handout of the notes, then um, we'd love for you to get one in the back. Um, I'm waiting for somebody to. Anybody not have a, a handout? Maybe you can. Um, West, West Cochran will get you a copy. So raise your hand high if you don't have some notes, and Wes will get you a copy. All right, well, we are going to jump right into it tonight. This will conclude our six-week block of our latest midweek fellowship. And um, all of them, the first three that we did last year that Wayne taught, and then all of the, um, all of the uh, content from the last five weeks and this week will be on the Internet, all the notes and everything. So you can access that um, if you want to. And, and by the way, all of our, our sermons, everything on Sundays on, on there as well. I will say this before we kick it off and pray that uh, I've really enjoyed this past six weeks of tough questions. Hope it's been helpful. It's been really helpful for me personally just to think about the questions that we've had to wrestle with, to do the research, to really learn myself. And, and I will say that tonight is um, I probably did the most reading and listening to um, some talks uh, from different ministries, I probably did more preparation for this one than I did any other, and I feel less prepared for this one than any. Um, and and it's just the topic that we're dealing with tonight of of the Christian and depression, and the whole the whole um, reality of depression is such a complex and intangible and even ambiguous thing with such a wide spectrum that it's. It's really, it's, it's, it's kind of like trying to nail jello to a wall. It's very difficult to, to really grab onto some handles with some clarity. And so um, I, think, I think obviously our outline is a little shorter tonight, and hopefully we'll have some good discussions. So I'm, gonna, uh, I'm, I'm praying that even the questions tonight might, um, might uh, help us. And um, by no means, by no means am I a subject matter expert. I'm just, just the pastor of, a, a pastor of a local church. And so... Um, you know, a, a fellow uh, uh, traveler on the road trying to understand uh, the human soul a little bit better with you. So let me pray, and we'll get started. Oh Lord, thank you for these friends and for your great grace to us, which is indescribable. And Lord, it's not a general, merely common grace sort of grace that you extend to the whole world in your kind providence, but for your people... For those who are trusting in Jesus' finished work on the cross alone, for those to whom you have given new life, that you have given a new heart, so that we can turn from trusting in ourselves and sin and trust in faith in Christ, Lord, your grace is indescribable. But yet, Lord, we know the reality of life even after we have been regenerated and made alive by your Holy Spirit through the gospel. We know the reality of our remaining time on this earth before our glorification is fraught with uh, despair at times, remaining sin, difficulty and trial, and, and for many, depression. So I pray that you would help us tonight. Uh, the, again, the goal is not just a mere sort of theological treatise or 
examination, but that you would help us as just a small, tiny little sliver of your great, glorious bride of Christ, that you would help this little portion of it, these, group, these folks here, Cross Point Church, and those visiting, that you'd help us understand what it means to follow you better, what it means to help one another follow you better, and, uh, and what it means to, to wrestle against depression. I pray that you'd help us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we like to give away books um, and point you in the uh, direction of good resources. And so here's an excellent book uh, by an author that we on the pastoral staff really respect, a guy by the name of Edward Welsh, Ed Welsh. He is a Christian counselor um, out of the Philadelphia area up at Westminster uh, Seminary. I think he's kind of affiliated with them. He teaches there. But also he's part of this organization called CCEF, Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. That is a wonderful website, by the way. I forgot to put that website on the bottom of this, on these notes. So for resources, write ccef.org, ccef.org. And that stands for Christian Counseling and Education Foundation.org. It is a wonderful treasure trove of good resources about Spiritual health, mental health, depression, and all of that. These are the biblical counselors that are really in sort of our little stream of Christianity, the most respected group. Ed Welsh is one of them, and he's written a book called Depression, Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness. And we've got it on sale in the Resource Center. But I'll give this away for anybody that wants it, whether you are depressed or whether you know somebody. This would be great for you personally. I'm looking at you, sister. Don't worry. You you, you got it. And whether it's you personally or whether it's just a family member that helping Christians come alongside uh, people that they love who are depressed, this would be wonderful. So Sing Ling, you, it is yours. Sing Ling, you. Did I say your last name correctly? No, not really. I didn't. I know. I didn't. <laughs> Several years ago when I met Sing Ling, the first time she told me how to pronounce her last name, I said it perfectly by accident, and she was so excited, and I've never been able to repeat the pronunciation. Um, So that's an excellent book. We sell it in the Resource Center. Well, let's get into it. What should Christians think about depression? Well, let's look at what the, uh, let's just orient ourselves with some scripture tonight. The word depression is not actually used in the Bible. Um, So if you, you know, at least in kind of more literal translations, it might in some of these more um, paraphrased versions, but uh, you'll see words like sorrow and melancholy. Uh, and so the idea of depression or severe mood um, and discouragement is, is certainly present in Scripture. And we see it all throughout church history as well. So let me just I think, read one of the texts that would probably point us and orient us towards just the reality, I think, of this in our lives and, in, and, and, and just in people we love. Uh, this is what Psalm 42 says, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God, 
with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And then verse 5, listen to verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan Jordan, and Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And it continues on. But you can see this sense that the psalmist is, is really crying out uh, and, and identifying, I think, which is, which is a very common human experience. That what, Why am I like this? He's, he's really turning the attention of the psalm on himself. And we see it in other portions of the Bible. I mean, there's a book of the Bible named... Lamentations, written by the weeping prophet Jeremiah. We see in the New Testament, we see the Apostle Paul, and we could just scan through 2 Corinthians, which is Paul's most personal letter. It's written as a, a really an encouragement to the Corinthian church, and it's written to, to, to really, it's his most personal letter. It gives a picture of his struggle in ministry. And in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, he talks about how the situation that he was going through brought him to a point of despair that he despaired even of life itself. And then we read in the, towards the end of 2 Corinthians in chapter 12 where he talks about this thorn of flesh, whatever that was, whether it was a physical ailment or whether it was some sort of spiritual problem. We're not exactly sure. That's been speculated about ad nauseum in church history. But nevertheless, it brought Paul to a place of weakness and uh, to a point of really uh, a dependency to where he had to trust in, in Christ. And so we see this idea of excessive sorrow and, and, and we call it in our day depression throughout the scriptures. The Puritans often referred to it as melancholy or over sorrow. We could spend all of our night just doing case studies of very notable church history figures Uh, that suffered with severe depression. In fact, it is much more the norm that somebody that's used by God greatly, even historical figures since Bible times, it's much more the norm for that person to have gone through some severe depression in their life for them them not to. And so my, uh, one of my, certainly maybe my, my greatest historical hero, Charles Spurgeon, was well known for suffering with severe depression. As early, on, as early on, when he was 24 years old, he began to fight bouts of depression. And he writes, my spirit, my spirit, uh, just n- no S there, were, were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child. And yet I knew not what I wept for. I am heartily ashamed of myself for falling into despondency. But I am sure there is no remedy for it like a holy faith in God. And then he says also, I don't have this written down, but he called it shapeless, undefinable, causeless depression, yet all beclouding hopelessness. It cannot be reasoned with, he said. And then he went on to say that the iron bolt, which so mysteriously fastens the door of hope and holds our spirits in gloomy prison, needs a heavenly hand to push it back. 
So you think about people in the history of the church that have been people of great faith and that have believed in the power of a sovereign God to move mightily, and yet we have Spurgeon here in, in, in one of his more introspective moments describing the despair that he felt as an iron bolt that fastened the door of hope and hold, held his spirit in a gloomy prison and could only be moved by the heavenly hand of God to push it back. Well, he may be overstating that a bit, I don't know, but, but it gives us a picture into the, the great, great heroes of the faith and, and what they suffered. And then Ed Welch, the writer of the book that I handed out, um, points us in his book and some of the seminars that I listened to this week of him teaching in several, several conferences, conferences, that when we look at scriptures in the Bible that pertain to suffering in general, I think we can, although not all of them are necessarily speaking specifically about melancholy or excessive sorrow or depression, I think we can read into that that people that are dealing with depression are suffering. And so here's one goal that I have tonight is I want, if nothing else, because I don't feel like we're going to be able to solve much tonight other than to just sort of shine light on this, this issue, is that if nothing else, I want us to destigmatize this word and this, this thing called depression. I want to destigmatize it and say that I think it is actually part of the normal human experience. And I, I would go so far as to say that I think most people, to some degree, will deal with some measure of depression in their lifetime. So if you are the type of person that has struggled deeply with depression, you are not a freak or an outcast or, you know, somebody that needs to wear a scarlet letter D sweater everywhere. And you know, like, oh, there's got to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. And that place must be, has to be, should be the local church. So let's keep going. Definitions and descriptions. And this is where it gets kind of a challenging because we don't really have any real hard and fast definitions. Now, the American uh, uh, Academy of Psychiatry or the American Psychiatric Academy, APA, um, has, has some tools that from a secular point of view help us to describe the 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 symptoms and give us kind of a, a, a description of what depression looks like. But it is so complex and so varied that, you know, I think we have to even offer some of these speculations and diagnosis with a, a certain amount of humility. But there is this thing that's well known in the, in the mental health world called the DSM. And I have down there four, but they just came out with a fifth fifth edition. And that is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And it's kind of like the big blue book of everything for people in the mental health world that helps them think about diagnosing and describing different mental disorders. And that um, uh, uh, diagnostic tool would describe or define depression as five or more of, cert, of cer, the following certain symptoms during a two-week period, and there's nine. I, I just counted these up just a second ago, and I only have eight down, so I must have not copied them well, but, but I'll just read them. A depressed mood, diminished interest or pleasure in most activities, significant weight loss or gain, insomnia or hypersomnia, meaning you can't sleep uh, or, you can, or you sleep too much, psychomotor agitation, you just can't do simple tasks anymore, you, you know, your hands aren't just firing with your brain, Fatigue or loss of energy, 
feelings of worthlessness or inappropriate guilt, diminished ability to think or concentrate, and recurrent thoughts of death or suicidal ideation, meaning you're thinking about um, you know, what it might look for, for you to take your own life. And so uh, they would define uh, depression as having five or more of those symptoms over a prolonged two-week period. Okay? And then there's varying levels of depression. So within this, there is a spectrum of depression from less severe to more severe. And so, I mean, all the way up to, like, we would kind of use the words mild, moderate, and severe, but there's a spectrum there. And so, um, Ed Welsh in his book uh, makes the, I think, really important point is that we should not think of depression as, like, I have it or I don't have it, but as a continuum of severity. So it's, I think we need to kind of get out of the um, thinking of depression as kind of like, like a like we think of the flu or, you know, an ear infection, right? It's not like you have it or, you know, my, my wife is a pediatrician, as I mentioned. She's got this little kit where she can swab our kids' throats and check whether or not they have strep throat, like right there on the spot. And our kids hate it because you actually got to get kind of deep back in there. And one time she tried to do it with, to me, and I, I couldn't even do it. I was too wimpy to even have her stick the thing. Like my little six-year-old son was like, test me. And I'm like, no, I'm the one crying in the background. And she, anyway, total wimp. But, I mean, you can, you can identify right then, like you have streptococcus pneumi or whatever the bug is, you know, or you don't have it. But that's not the way it works with the human soul. You know, we're all battered and bruised to some degree, and so we should think of depression as more of on a continuum of severity. So let's talk about causes, and, um, and we'll do C and D, and then we'll stop and, and pause and, and, and ask some questions. Causes. Ed Welch offers five, and I think I, I would agree with these. One would be other people. The sin that is committed against us, external things that come to us, traumatic events that happen to us at the hands of other people, or just sort of a general um, atmosphere of the family of origin that we grew up in, right? That can all bring about depression in a person. If they grew up with a very abusive father who told them and belittled them and told them that they were you know, not worth anything, then that is going to have a severe impact on a person to some degree and can be one of the mitigating and, and really primary causes of depression in a person. Another cause is us, right? Our own fallen nature, our own sin even, uh, the residual effects of the fall. We all are, even if we are Christians, are dealing with uh, you know, incomplete maybe less than ideal, broken mindsets, even if it's not our, our sin, it's just we have, we have limited, fallen, broken perspectives on things. And so certainly the cause can be within us. Now let me make the point here, and we'll make it again, that not all depression is a result of our sin. And not all depression in and of itself is sin, but certainly that can um, be part of it. Thirdly, our physical bodies are broken and can be injured or sick. 
Women have babies and postpartum, the, the, the differences and the changes in their bodies are severe and that is a, oftentimes a very vulnerable time for somebody to, for a woman to, sl- to have bouts with depression. That is a very real thing because of physiological issues and chemical things going on in a woman's body. And then even in the brain, chemical imbalances of things like serotonin, which we'll talk about a little bit more towards the end when we're talking about treatment. So there's physical aspects. So even if it's not postpartum or chemical, if you, are, if you have some chronic injury, um, that can affect your, 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 your heart and your mind and your mood and can push you into depression. And then clearly, Satan, we have an enemy who seeks to ke- steal, kill, and destroy, who First Peter 5 says, prowls about like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. We do not live in a neutral universe. So there is a real enemy who is out to really destroy God's children and to discourage them in any way he can or neutralize them. And then fifthly, we don't think about this as much, but I actually think this may be one of the more prominent reasons or causes for depression, at least in our generation, in our day, is the collective culture that we live in, which is kind of like the... It's like the accumulation of all of the us's, right? So I've got my sin, right? I've got other people kind of around me that uh, uh, are going to maybe be sinning against me that might cause me or maybe be treating me poorly or whatever. And then sort of the collective culture around us and the spirit of our age that, that, that becomes uh, part of what can really have an effect on our soul. And so here's just uh, six are five different sort of aspects of the culture, the culture of decisions. And Ed Welch in his, his book on page 99 has just an excellent little paragraph that I just thought is a one, really a, an indicting and stinging, not wonderful, it's, it's sad, but it's a stinging indictment of, of our culture. He says this about this culture of decisions or this culture of a plethora of options that we have and how this bears down on our soul. Listen to what he says. In previous generations... An implicit caste system kept us in the same jobs as our parents, and most of the major decisions in our lives were made before we were born. Your father was a blacksmith. You were a blacksmith. A boy in your village comes from the right family, and his parents go to the right church. He is the one you will marry when you come of age. It was a system that had its problems. He's not, he's not advocating that necessarily. It was a system that had its problems, but the pressure of decisions was not one of them. Now, education, career, marriage, and even sexual preference are up for grabs. Life is a maelstrom of decisions. And if the decisions don't get you, the pressure to make the right ones will. Parents reserve spots at select elementary schools soon after their children are born. Not saying there's anything wrong with that. Don't, get, don't, don't, don't break the internet tonight, emailing hoping to give them any advantage possible in a highly competitive world. They try to provide every extracurricular experience humanly possible so children can find their strengths and perhaps be in a position for a college scholarship. Children feel the pressure to have vocational ideas by the time they enter ninth grade. Teenagers now make course decisions in high school that their parents did not have to make in college. And even preteens are exposed to situations and their associated pressures and decisions. Teens feel like they face weekly choices that could affect the entire course of their lives. And what if they make a poor choice? 
Although life before a sovereign God assures us that God is in control, accomplishing his good plans even through our poor choices, it is easy to lose sight of this reality. When we do, and this doesn't just apply for teenagers, I think it applies with the sort of pressure of the interconnected world that we live in, we can feel as if an unwise decision has forever doomed us to a path that is second best. And I think a lot of it stems from this sort of idolatry of everything needs to be awesome. Right? We live in a, we live in a Facebook world where everything needs to be awesome because everybody else is awesome. Right? And so it puts this pressure on us. And so he goes on to say, an understandable response to such a pressured culture is withdrawal, paralysis in the face of decisions, fear of making wrong ones, fatigue, and feeling like you could sleep for days and still be tired. In other words, depression is a fitting response to this culture of decisions. Friends, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think that all the options... In fact, I think there's something in there. I think that's why sometimes you see... Isn't it, isn't it weird how... Like if you've ever gone on a mission trip and you go to some poor village in Latin America, it just seems like these poor people are so happy. And then you come to America and it seems like all the rich people are so miserable. I, I think that to some degree, increasing options and increasing just availability to do everything actually can work against our happiness, really, because we're just we're, we're such like natural idolaters. So this culture of decisions just pushes on us. Culture of individualism. Uh, I think that's self-explanatory. Culture of self-indulgence. We just have everything we need. I mean, come on, my internet. It, I mean, it takes forever. I mean, can you, can you imagine if we had to go back to like circa 2001 where they had this thing called dial-up? <gasps> the whore. You know, and do you see how this sort of produces in us an ease to frustration? The culture of happiness is the greatest Good. In other words, everything's centered on us and, and our personal happiness and comfort. And then a culture of entertainment and boredom. Like kids get bored so easy. We're just, all of us are bored so easy. So all of these things in culture push on us and I think produce in us a sort of discontent and depression. So some important things to understand about depression and then we'll stop and, and, um, and ask some questions. It is almost always multidimensional in its causes and symptoms. So those, four, those five causes there, it's never just one thing, right? So you have a, a, an injury, right? And it kind of puts you into a place where you're, you, know, you're, you're, you are not dealing with it well. And other people you know, aren't caring for you like you should. And, and then you're more vulnerable to the lies of the enemy and... And so it all just kind of works together. There's this multifactorial aspect to virtually every case of depression that makes it very difficult to pinpoint what the specific cause is. Depression is not necessarily a sin. Now, it can become sin, but to be depressed in and of itself, to, to, to live life as a Christian in a broken world and to despair over your own sin and the sin of others around you and to walk through the valley of the shadow of death at times intrinsically in and of itself is not sin but it can sort of slip into a sort of self-absorbed sin at times certainly 
Depression then following that is not necessarily the result of our sin or sin committed against us, although those two things certainly, certainly can factor, factor in. So I think it's important for us in, as far as removing the, the stigma of depression is that, um, is that it, you know, it's, not, it's not a sin to be depressed. And it's not necessarily the result of sin. But there's got to be a place where you're okay to even confess it if it is the result of sin or bad choices. Four, many, I would even, this is just my opinion, maybe the majority of Christians will experience at least some measure of depression in their lifetime for a season, even if they're you know, not necessarily calling that. I think that's just part of life in a broken world. And then fifthly, the church should be a safe place where there is no stigma attached to depression and where depression can be discussed and dealt with. And we're going to talk about that in, 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 just, in just a moment. But before we get into how it should be treated and handled, especially in the context of a church, any questions at all? Any at all? John, Fox. We're going to get the mic so we can record it. Yeah. Um, thoughts on suicide. Yeah. Thoughts uh, on suicide. Yeah. Any, I mean, the, the, I know this goes through a lot of people's minds yeah. who have family members commit yeah. suicide, thought about suicide. Yeah. And there are a lot of, I've heard a lot of people's opinions, so to speak, on, you know, suicide and sin and could a christian commit suicide and yeah. that kind of stuff so that's a any, great question yeah it's, oh, it's yeah. a painful question and yep. by way of comment this is an extremely difficult topic to talk yeah. about yeah. and i commend you for trying yeah yeah, yeah. trying i mean yeah. Well, you're doing a good job it's just trying. like the yeah. dsm-4 is a good name for a book it's diagnostic and statistical manual in other words yeah we are guessing. Yes. I mean, that's really what that title means if you yeah. want an English yeah. translation yeah. for it. We are guessing. Yeah. And friends, that's coming from, John is an actual, he's a physician. So um, he, if he says that about the DSM, then, uh, then, then that carries more weight than the average person. About suicide um, and about sin and, and can a Christian commit suicide, I think we need to be um, real uh, tender and um, thoughtful when we answer that question. Can a Christian take their own life and still be in heaven? I think the answer to that question is yes. I mean, suicide is not the unpardonable sin. And we, all of us, friends, will to some degree die with unrepented of sin, you know? Um, so, you know, understanding what happened on the cross in the atonement, we have been forgiven. Jesus has forgiven his people for all time. Romans 8, this beautiful that we talked about last week in this looking at eternal security, the, the golden chain of salvation that we have been justified. Hebrews 10.14 says that by a single offering, he, is, uh, he has perfected those who are being sanctified. So can a Christian, because of maybe these various causes here, uh, a combination of maybe all five of them, 
be at a place of utter despair and despondency, that they would uh, take their own life? Uh, yeah, I, I, I certainly think that's possible. Um, and certainly I do not think that that sin is, is uh, unforgivable by any means. But I think we need to be very careful because when we are ever talking to somebody that is dealing with, uh, wrestling with depression and is considering that, um, you know, we want to be careful about not sort of giving them a sort of open pathway to that out. And the few people that I have have dealt with that have been in that situation, I've said to them, you know, suicide is not the unforgivable sin. But even I as a Christian, I don't ever want to be in a situation where I am willfully saying to the Lord, I'm going to disobey you, and now you are obligated to forgive me. You know, so let's let's just even take suicide out of the, let's just take suicide out of, let's let's not talk about that as the sin that we're talking about. Let's talk about, you know, a husband who's being unfaithful to his wife and he wants to divorce her for unbiblical reasons. I would say to that husband who says he's a Christian, well, brother, you may very well be a Christian. And if uh, you get run over by a bus after our meeting right now, you, you may very well go straight to heaven. But if you persist in willful disobedience... At some point, I mean, you 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 can no longer validate your 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 trust in Christ. Now, that's different from a person who's 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 depressed because their their mind is racked with you know all sorts of thoughts. But what I try and in, in a few situations I've been in with a person that has been you know thinking about, it, I've been trying to say, hey brother, like that is God is good, he's gracious, don't, you know, don't, you can't bank on grace right now, let grace infuse you and live, and, and I want to come around that person and, and love on them and protect them, um, so I, I want to be careful about just saying, oh yeah, you know, no, no, no sin is unforgivable because it can become kind of a pathway for that person, so I think that's a real tender moment um, that we need to be very, very careful about, and we need to warn a person about uh, about wif- willfully disobeying God, but I think in general, John, um, I think, I think, yeah, I, I think that it is possible um, that that a Christian can can do that. Any thoughts about that? Anybody else have any helpful um, comments on that? Yeah. 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 Frank. Don't think too much of the statement, but Christ could have prevented his death had he chose to do so. No, it's not really suicide, but he walked into his own death yeah. for our good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mark. It's a suicide somebody they're not right in their own mind mm-hmm. to even go there mm-hmm. so they're sick mm-hmm. and we have to have mercy and i'm sure yeah. god has mercy oh, yeah. and grace yeah. on yeah. them yeah 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 no doubt right. no doubt so i mean cuz if you hold, if you set up this this um standard 
that you know a person who takes their own life dies with some sort of unrepentant sin. Well, we all do. You know, what if, what if, um, you know, what, what if I get in some huge fight with my wife, you know, and just said some horrible, terrible things, stormed out, and then peel out of my driveway onto the road, and you know, a semi truck plows into me. Well, I mean. You know, it's not like, oh, like God's saying, oh, gosh, he, he didn't have a chance to make that right. And No, that cuts against everything that we believe about salvation. But again, friends, we just think we, we, if you're ever dealing with somebody that is considering that, you need to be very wise about how you just say, oh, oh yeah, no, no, no. So, you know, you need to be very wise because you could unwittingly sort of make them feel like that's the, 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 the best thing to do as a, as a, as a release. Yeah. Good question. Hope that helped a little bit. Any other questions before we move on? Yes, Greg. Let's get the microphone. I know you, we can hear you, but we want it to be recorded. And we want to see Paul run. Um, <laughs> being in a military um, community, um, I think, you know, we, uh, Sergeant Rhodes, um, retired Sergeant Major Rhodes, is working with PST, uh, post-traumatic stress folks, a lot. I think there's a, a link between the two, and I think that's probably one of the symptoms. Yeah. I think that's something we probably need to be sensitive to here at this, this congregation. Amen. I'm just wondering um, what you've kind of looked at regarding yeah. the, the tie between those two. What yeah. we've always been told, it's, it's a natural react, reaction to an unnatural situation. Yeah. Amen. I think that's a great point, Greg. I, we certainly have many soldiers that have come through Crosspoint over the last, you know, nine years that we've been a church that have, have suffered with varying degrees of PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. And, you know, I think, yeah, that's part of the spectrum of depression. And that is them dealing with this culture around them and these horrific things that these soldiers are seeing that is now becoming, you know, just a terrible thing for them to deal with. And as you put it, what did you say? A natural reaction to an unnatural um, event. And, yeah, I, I think we... we I've certainly counseled with, with quite a few people that are, that are enduring that. And that's a very legitimate thing and a very real thing. Yeah. Amen. Any other questions? Yeah, Truman. Couldn't um, telling the person that the suicide is the ultimate punishment type of no matter what you do, you can't get away with it or, you know, if you sin, you're going to die and go to hell. Wouldn't that further make them depressed because then they feel like, I'm already sad and depressed, and now he's telling me that if I sin, I'm going to go to hell. Yeah. And so then it makes them feel like they can't. Well, win. I think in the past people have 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 thought that that was a that would be a deterrent, and the reason why people say that I think is to to be a strong deterrent. I think it's I think the reason people come down real hard on that um, is is really as a. Uh, I think it springs from a, a place of care for that person to just try and prevent them to do it but yeah it might it might even make them feel even worse yeah i could see that anybody else okay yeah jay and after jay will oh terry i was just going to say um if a person is in deep dark despair mm -hmm. to the point that they're thinking about committing suicide yeah um that's not necessarily the time to give them 10 logical reasons why yes. you should not do this. Yes. Their 
my spirits were sunken so low that I could weep for an hour like a child. Yeah. They're not running on all eight cylinders. Yeah. And so yeah. a lot of times it's to get them to a safe place and get them help. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That's a great point. And that's coming from a, a army chaplain who deals with people in situations like this and PTSD um, all the time. Um, all right. Well, let's get into how sh- should it be treated. And again, this is just very broad strokes here. Nothing particularly specific or maybe even helpful, but I just want to orient us as a church to think about what what a sort of culture should look like here to be a church that is a place where um, depression can be um, uh, helped and, um, and battled collectively together. The challenges are many, but I just point out two. The challenges are the complexity of how, so it's not, again, it's not a bug, right? It's not strep. It's not strep throat. We can't prescribe, you know, a certain antibiotic that we know is, uh, you know, effective against that particular strain of bug. It just doesn't work that way. The uh, causes, uh, the origin of a person, the history the just even the the natural disposition of a person their own sort of personal constitution they have so many intangible factors that make it just in every human situation very complex secondly isolation generally as as i think jay was hitting upon there is that when a person is depressed to whatever degree it tends to cause them to sort of isolate themselves and then the people around them, even if it's a loving environment, like let's say, uh, hopefully, a local church like Crosspoint that's a loving environment, they tend to feel isolated or inadequate. And so they tend to sort of, not because they're, you know, wanting to shun a person, but just because they don't know what to do, you feel like maybe your calls will be unhelpful. And so you kind of back up, then that person kind of backs up, and then they sort of begin to blame the community around them for backing up, and then it just it becomes sort of a descending thing, and, and, and we isolate ourselves from, from one another, and, and then the person is cut off from the very means of grace that God has given to be the, the, the environment for, for their pursuit towards health. And so um, I, I would just commend folks that if you know of people around you that are suffering to some degree. Or you just know people that seem to have withdrawn themselves a little bit from the body, from church, that are on the fringe. I mean, that could be kind of symptoms of a person not being connected or the beginning stages of depression. I pray that we would have a culture here where we, with sort of humble boldness, like go after each other, right? And like, hey man, how are you? You know, and we're just kind of willing to be sort of awkward with each other. Like, what, where you been? What's going on? How you doing? You know, and, and we're willing. To, I mean, let's, I'd rather put my foot in the mouth, my mouth occasionally than have people think that, well, I don't, I don't really care about them. And, and I think that generally in our busy world where we have a culture of decisions and all this stuff to do and Facebook to check, we tend to be like more isolated and people slip, slip through the cracks. So those are the challenges. Then... Multidimensional problems require multidimensional treatment. So regardless of cause, dealing with the heart is the primary issue. So can depression be physiological in its, maybe its dominant part, 
or its root, or can it be a chemical imbalance is one of the major things going on there? Yes, but even then, the, the point, the, the root of every issue for the Christian is our heart and what we are believing about who God is, what the good news is, and who we are in light of that. And so we always have to get to the heart as we think about engaging one another and creating a culture of soul care and a healthy place for people to wrestle with depression in our church. Let's not forsake the God-ordained, number two there, the God-ordained and ordinary means of grace. Understanding the gospel, knowing what Christ has done with our sin on the cross, if you're a Christian, the truth of the scriptures, knowing the Bible, prayer, being in community with other Christians who speak truth and encouragement and, and, and words of, of helpfulness to, to a person when they are depressed, and then the shepherds, the pastors and elders that God gives to uh, intervene in, in times where there's more needed than just, uh, you know, kind of community encouragement. Friends, I think that the average Christian in America, for the most part, uh, spends a majority of their life in Christ really um, not tapping into these ordinary means of grace. And as a result, we, we sort of live like anemic lives, and it makes us more vulnerable to depression or it makes the depression that we go through more severe and, and more possible to lapse into something very, very difficult because we, I mean, let's just be honest, we, we, we maybe don't understand the gospel as deeply as we should. We don't know the Bible as deeply as we should. We don't pray like we should. We're not in community like we should be. And this isn't to beat us all up. I'm just saying that God has given ordinary means of grace for the Christian that quite frankly, the American church is just terrible at because we're running around like lab rats on crack with all this stuff that we got to do. And we've kind of reduced sort of church life down into, you know, kind of what it can do for me. And, you know, God forbid I have to sit in a living room with some awkward people, you know, and actually be in community with them. Ah, you know, but that's like the way God has ordained for his people to like care for each other's souls. And then certainly there is a place for counseling, counseling. And I I think that a vast majority, I think every Christian needs counseling. I think every car needs its oil changed every 3,000 miles. And I think every Christian needs counseling. But I think that Christians, as they live life together and pursue biblical community, should be doing informal counseling with each other all the time. So, so read like Colossians chapter 3, where, where the Apostle Paul says that we should, we should speak words to each other. Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, verse 15, to which you indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I think we can define everyday layperson counsel is admonishing one another in all wisdom. But in order to admonish one another, we have to actually know each other and, 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 and sort of be in relationship with one another. Um, and so I think on some level, counseling is, should be a regular rhythm of Christian interaction and discipleship. And then certainly there is time where there should be uh, more specific, trained, we call it in our culture, licensed uh, counseling. Now let me make a word, uh, say a word about counseling. I think that uh, many Christians make the mistake of, of, uh, of sort of buying into sort of, you know, this sort of worldly, secular, therapeutic counseling. And certainly there can be some benefit from that because, I mean, even a, what's the saying? Even a blind horse gets a, I don't know, gets a carrot or something like that or whatever. Uh, I'm just making stuff up now. It's getting... <laughs> Certainly, there's a common grace aspect that God gives, you know, even secular counselors that might be helpful knowledge. But I would counsel Christians to, to, to uh, not go to counselors that are not Christians. Uh, and, and then even within the Christian counseling world, there's people that are Christian counselors that really don't do biblical counseling. It's just kind of secular counseling with a Christian veneer on it. And they may be Christian people, but they, they're not really coming from a point where the scriptures are authoritative and the gospel is central and the finished work of Christ is the answer for every situation in the world. Now, of course, that's not to be simplistic. It needs to be wisely applied and, 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 and you know, put into every situation. But you can have Christian counselors that are just secular counselors that happen to be members of a local church and they're kind of calling their business Christians, but they're not. So I think you, know, you, need, to, you need to discern uh, there is a difference between biblical counseling and just kind of the general sort of world of Christian counseling. Um, and, and I think, and let me just say, that I think that there are some organizations here in town that kind of are under the banner of Christian counseling, and I have found their advice, for the most part, at least that I've heard secondhand from people that I've had to try and clean up the mess that they've had once they've gone to these Christian counselors under the, the banner of this Christian counseling. I have found that a vast majority of the advice that they give is super unhelpful. Super unhelpful. Super duper unhelpful. And really, I mean, it makes me want to stick a fork in my eye sometimes what's being told people under the guise of Christian counseling at a, at a really well-known sort of institution here in town. Come to me if you have any more questions about that afterwards. So I think that, um, I think that, that, that there's a great need for this. Um, I would pray that, that maybe churches and gospel center churches in Columbus, that there might be Christian, Christian biblical counselors that would rise up from church, churches, and we might have a, a better landscape of this in our, in our city in the future, um, Lord willing. Now, what about the use of antidepressant medications? Is it valid for a Christian to take um, antidepressant medications? 
I think generally the answer to that is yes. It, it can be at times. But here's the problem with it. Is that, is Brandon still back there? Yeah, can you switch it over to the, to the, uh, to the I got a new little, we got this new little iPad thing here, and already it's messing up. Man, we thought, we thought it was going to be. Brandon, I'll tell you what, man. Oh, okay, here we go. Wait, that, did it go there for a second? Yeah, yeah, that's real funny. Man, this was, we had, I mean, it was going, and it just didn't, it's not going. All right. This is so disappointing for me, friends. This is so disappointing for me, because I was so excited about this. There we go. All right. So, um, here's the deal, is let's remember, think about all the causes, okay? So, we've got maybe um, um, some some cultural issues going on in a person's life, family of origin, you know, whatever. We've got a person's own, their own sort of sin issues or their own self going on in their life. And then there may be a legitimate physiological issue going on in their, in their body, okay? Maybe they do really have some measure of chemical imbalance. And by the way, it's, it, all that is very ambiguous. The whole uh, chemical levels, uh, serotonin in the brain. I mean, that's real, and you can have, you know, not enough of it, but it's very hard to test for that and to know with any certainty what it is. Well, th- the deal is, is let's say a person is depressed because, you know, for whatever, a variety of reasons, and they go to their doctor, and their doctor prescribes to them Prozac or Zoloft or whatever, and that is treating, you know, solely this part of, of, of the cause, Right? But it's kind of like, it's kind of like if I, you know, uh, were to, you know, have some injury, and it's kind of like giving uh, Motrin for the pain. Does it help? Yes, It, it probably does help. But the problem is, in our world, and in kind of just merely a sort of physiological. I think a worldview of naturalism is is that we think that treating the symptom with maybe a very helpful medication, like a SSRI antidepressant, a serotonin, you know, drug that helps increase the level, that is really only acting on potentially potentially one cause there. And then you think, well, now that's helped. Now, Now we've kind of, we're treating, we're treating it. And, and you sort of stop there, and, and there's no thought given to maybe some of the underlying things. And so can medication um, help to sort of bring a person back to a level? Remember what Jay said just a second ago, that a person can be so low that they, just, they aren't even hearing input or encouragement or counsel? Can medication, wisely administered by a, a, a doctor, help to bring a person to a point where maybe the sin issues, the heart issues, and the, you know, the, the, the cultural beliefs or whatever that's going on can be dealt with in a more effective way? Yes, yes. The problem is, friends, I think in our culture, is that when a person goes to, the, to their uh, doctor, and it, a lot of times they'll just get the drug and they'll think, I'm, I'm treating it, and we, we will just completely forget about all of the deeper underlying issues. And then you're kind of on this thing for life. And you're, I think, you know, very vulnerable to other things to come in. And so 
Um, my, my caution about medicine is that it can be used, certainly, and I think as part of God's common grace, but it should wisely be used at times as part of the solution to maybe get a person to a place where then the heart can be dealt with and in a culture, hopefully a good biblical culture where there's a church to care for the soul and there's a wise biblical counselor to really start to dig into that person's heart with the truth of the gospel and apply the truths of scripture to their heart. But I think the problem with medication is that that, that just we just bypass all of that and go to that. So my, 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 my point about medication is is I think we just need a lot of wisdom there and a lot of, and a lot of, uh, a, a lot of caution as we, as we think about its helpful uses. Any questions? Any questions? Yes, Greg. I've had, I've had to deal with a couple of situations uh, of suicide, uh, especially one being a commander, uh, where... You know, when when your commander and the chaplain are waiting for you when your aircraft lands, that's kind of a bad sign. But yeah. seeing what it did to the individual, um, I mean, she just her father had committed suicide, and she just went down like a you know sack of potatoes. Yeah. And sometimes, a lot of times, people have this revenge motivation as opposed to depression. They're just trying to get even. Mm. And and I think dealing sometimes with that issue. Um, also will address the suicide issue, and I'm not a professional counselor, I don't mm-hmm. know, pretend to be, but yeah. um, I, I think if, if people could s- see the ramifications on not just the one they're trying to get even with, mm-hmm. but be aware of just the whole scope of what that does to a family and, and friends and things like that yeah. Um, yeah. would yeah. be helpful, but again, I'm, I'm not sure how to introduce that, and yeah. it's just been had a personal impact on me when yeah. I had to deal with it. Yeah, amen, amen. That's a good point. Brenda. Okay. So how do we, just as a church, as Christians, change our mindset to take God's side on all of these issues mm-hmm. with, um, sorry, I get nervous, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, with depression, with um, infertility, with um, just all, all the topics that we've talked about. Yeah. I, I feel like we are so quick to run to the medical field mm-hmm. and not um, to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. No, I understand. So how do we... Well, how do we biblically fight? Yeah, like... I just feel like we're so lax mm-hmm. as a church, and we don't. Mm-hmm. We, I, I do this. I've done this, and I. This is why I ask. Um, just like you don't know how to go to God or church or community or um, um, church family, so so you go. It's it's easy to go to a doctor and say, yeah. I, you know, I'm struggling with depression or. Yeah. Um, all, all the issues, yeah. and they give you these diagnoses, and then, just from my personal experience, um, all the what is it? The side effects. Um, that's kind of how God has answered my questions. Is it's a, it doesn't seem worth it with the yeah. side effects that come with it. Yeah. And so, how how do we just 
um, fully trust God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but as, as, a, as a community, just really take God's side on all these issues and be, yeah. like, seriously, in a, mm-hmm. in a serious mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Brenda, you, that's a wonderful question and one that I, I think uh, the answer is is that we um, we wrestle with as pastors all the time is h- ultimately the question is why or how do we just become a more gospel centered god saturated community and I think the answer to that is we just uh, try and create a culture where we clearly know the gospel and where it is okay to not be okay you know and I think it just starts with each of us saying you know I'm not going to settle for sort of being satisfied with the culture around me or you know I'm I'm going to go after God just this morning or today's Wednesday yesterday in our staff meeting we read Psalm 73 which is the first psalm that I read after I became a Christian in March of 1989 when I was a kid in high school. And, and the psalmist, if you're familiar with that psalmist talking about in the first part of the psalm about how the, the world just seems to be triumphing around him. You know, his enemies are, are, are winning. And in verse 16 he says, When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me, in verse 16, a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end, or the end of just this broken world around me. And then in verse 25, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is my strength and my portion forever. And I think we just, we need we need to preach it more, we need to teach it more, we need we need just individuals in the church to have a heart like yours, and we need to go after each other. And when we see one another on the fringes, we need to be more real with each other. Yeah, we need to take God's side against our sin and strive and, and wrestle to be a more authentic, gospel-centered, God-satisfied people. And uh, to some degree, we will, we will come to the finish line limping. You know, we will all arrive limping. But thanks be to God in the first Corinthians who gives us the victory. Sometime here in the near future we're going to do a series just on Romans 8. And I think it's just a wonderful encouragement that, you know, basically it's we are broken. But God doesn't give up. If God is for us, who can be against us? So I love your heart, Brenda. That's that's beautiful and I, we just we just need more of more of that type of um, heart. So praise God. Praise God. John, John, and then we'll come to Martin. Or, oh, were you pointing to somebody, John? No, no, I, no. Was, I was looking okay. for the microphone. So, okay. um, I, and sort of carrying on that conversation a little bit, um, I think the first question that we ought to ask in any decision, dilemma, whatever is, what does God say first? Yeah. I mean, what what does the Bible actually teach about that? And do that yeah. before we y'all you know come running to me or some other doctor yeah. about anything. Um, I will say though that sometimes this gives me the opportunity, and I've had this discussion with a lot of patients in my office. You know, when they're all 
kind of despairing about things and it's not going their way and that kind of thing is, you know, where is God in this? Yeah. I mean, do you, what are your feelings about God? And I mean, do you think God doesn't know this is happening to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does this, does yeah. that ever, do you ever think about that? Yeah. That, um, so the first question ought to be, for us anyway, what does God actually say that yeah. I ought to be doing with this particular problem? Yeah. Instead of, or ask, you know, a spiritual, some, mm. somebody that's a spiritual leader for you, what, what, what should I do based on what the scripture says? Um, the, the one thing that I would say, and it's been mentioned already, but from a medical standpoint, um, the one thing that I think that we all ought to take ought to try to remember is that when somebody's in the despair that they are considering hurting themselves or someone else that's not a person that you probably ought to be trying to talk to before they are in a safe place yeah so that you know take that part home with you Mm -hmm. because you it you know i've been i've sat right with somebody that's you know thinking that way and that talk to them later and they can't even remember what I said mm-hmm. so they're not likely to be able to hear what you're saying until they get into get in a safe place and get some medication or something on board where they get out of that yeah. hole and then you can talk to them so yeah. if you're ever in a situation like that you know you can stay up all night with them but really what you ought to be doing is trying to get them to a place where they would be safe and that is either you know sometimes it's an emergency room that kind of thing the christian counselor piece i would i would say and some of these other folks that know more about this than i do can chime in i don't i'm not aware from an academic standpoint psychiatrists are taught you know purely from a secular standpoint i mean Mm -hmm. they don't look at the world i'm not saying individual psychiatrists don't but as far as the way they're taught it's not a spiritual emphasis they mm-hmm. don't they don't think of it in terms of spiritual warfare they don't think of it in terms yeah. of you know um a spiritual problem they think of it in terms of a biological or psychological problem and that's why they lean heavily on medicine and cognitive behavioral therapy and things like that yeah. um i don't if if you're aware of any places where they actually teach good Christian counseling, you know I'd love to yeah. know about yeah. that because yeah. that would be helpful to be able to refer people to that. Yeah, yeah. And there are a few places here in town, but we just need we need more. Um, I would say um, of, of good Christian counseling in town. Amen. Any any other thoughts? Yes, Mary Catherine. Oh, and then Martin. Um, quick question is on like if I knew someone who I thought was going through depression or I saw signs of depression, mm-hmm. how would you, how would you say I would or should I approach them a, or yeah. you know, if I even thought they had depression, mm-hmm. how should I approach? It's them? a really good question, Mary Catherine. I think that person you, I think you want to come close to them if it's a friend, encourage them, ask them about how they're doing, and if. And then just try and encourage them. It may be uh, kind of on the spectrum of where just they just need general encouragement from a friend in Christ like you. And if you feel in that kind of sort of, you know, 
conversation or kind of as you're drawing close to that person like they would be helped, I would try and encourage them to go to, you know, their pastors, to, to one of the leaders of the church just for encouragement and counsel or maybe an older, wiser Christian if it's a peer, you know, of yours and you feel like they would benefit from, from talking to a, another Christian that's older, wiser. I would try and bring somebody else in if I felt like it was kind of beyond just the need for general encouragement. And then I think where the rubber meets the road is, Mary Catherine, is you just got to kind of stay on that person, you know? You got to stay on them. People that are in a ditch, they don't respond well to us sort of leaning over the ditch saying, hey, you ought to get out of the ditch. You know, we just, we can't do that. I mean, we kind of need to go down in there and say, hey, let's, come on, let's, let's, let's get up and let's go over to this person's house and let's, let's have dinner with, you know, some folks in my community group or this older, wiser Christian or maybe one of the pastors or whatever. And so I think that we just, you know, we, you, you kind of kind of grab a hold of them um, and, and be persistent and loving, even if it's a little awkward. You know, good question. Sissy and then Martin. Yeah. I'm sorry, Martin. I keep skipping over you. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm sorry. You're next. I think one thing that, that um, people who are going through depression need to know is that you, you may not understand what they're going through, yeah. but you understand that they are hurting. Yeah. yeah. And you don't let go yeah. of them. Amen. Amen. I think that's such a great point. Yeah. And we're going to make mistakes holding on, but it's better to make a mistake <laughs> of holding on than backing up. Martin, I'm going to let you talk now. I'm sorry. Well, I originally kind of, after she talked, yeah. so I, I yeah. was trying so, to, ca- I was caveat, I was I'm trying sorry. to caveat yeah. something. Yeah. She yeah. said, um, but... Uh, and it kind of goes in line with the medicine, but doesn't um, you said that if you know someone's at a really low point, um, you know if medicine takes it to get them to a certain point where they reach out to God, but isn't that really like uh, them having to rely on medicine to do something that God is you know fully powerful yeah. enough to do? Like if. Mm-hmm. Is that isn't that like a reliance? I understand, like yeah. you know, pain medicine for surgeries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, or you know, s- you know, having snakes crawl around you. You know, trust that they don't bite you. But like, yeah, when she said, you know, side effects. The right. side effects are are you know for uh, Zoloft. You know, for instance, I don't know this. Um, maybe yeah. the doctor does, but um, for Zoloft, if it's if it you know there's a side effect of infertility. Like why why are we having to rely, uh, or why is it why would it be okay for someone to rely on that yeah. when there's um, and not it's a good, on God? Yeah, that's a good question. I I would just say that I think that the brain is a physiological organ as well, just like maybe the kidneys that would have high blood pressure, or or you know the vascular system that would have have high blood pressure. And so, um, I do think that God it gives common grace to mankind in medicine. And I don't necessarily want to siphon off medicine that might work on some chemical aspect in a person, even in their brain, as not legitimate. I agree with you. I think that we should, in one sense, I agree that we should really be careful because we can tip the scales of, of depending on that medication rather than on God. But if we, f- if we take that line of reasoning all the way through, then we could apply that to virtually any medical treatment in any medicine. We could just say, well, I've got high blood pressure or, you know, high cholesterol, and I just am going to rely on God to bring that down. And so I, I think the point is, is that th- I think that there are some physiological components at times to 
depression. And there are some medications that seem to have clear empirical evidence that they can assist. And in that limited area, um, with other, you know, biblical counsel and prayer and all these other means of grace, um, I think that it can be wise. But it should be measured against, yeah, what the potential side effects. And I think the vast majority of people probably way overly rely on medication. And so I think it should be the, the not the first resort. Um, I think it should be um, on down the line um, w- under the counsel of a, of a gifted, wise, hopefully Christian physician that can help you make an informed decision. But I'm not going to rule out wholeheartedly that there's not some common grace helpfulness um, to medication. Yeah, yeah. Mark, last, last, last one here, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Then you can, I'll stay around and answer any questions you may have. What do you say to the Christian that is so troubled with depression that they have forgotten how to pray and that they feel the judgment of others upon them that they don't have um, the experience or have seen the things or yeah. live the life that they live that pushes yeah. them to that depression. Um, we talked about, you know, medication or, you know, whatever yeah. else to treat the physical symptom of it. Yeah. Um, and what is your recommendation to attack the other avenues of depression? I think that type of person that is in such a place of despondency that they can't pray, they can't, is that that's where the Christian community needs to come around that person and to literally stake themselves to them and just say, we're not going to let go of you until you, um, you know, are, are, receive help. I liken that person to the, the man that's a paralytic in Mark chapter 2 where he can't get to Jesus because he's paralyzed. And so he needs four friends to pick him up and carry him. And even when the crowd is too great to climb up on the roof, dig through the top of the house, and lower this dude down on his mat to Jesus. And I think that there's some spiritual you know, analogies there that when a person is so down that they themselves can't go to God, that we as a community, not just, hey, I'm praying for you, brother. Let's have lunch next Wednesday. I mean, we come around that person and we just hook like intensive care up to them and pray for them and with them and speak words of encouragement and gospel truth in them and incubate their soul and bring them to Jesus and stake ourselves to them. And I, I think, you know, there's much more we could say about that. But see, that's the type of care that we're just, we just don't give to each other because, oh gosh, you know, where, did, where did Bob go? I don't know, man. We haven't seen Bob in a while. Oh, Bob. Bob's not around anymore. And Bob is dying emotionally. But, you know, we don't have time to you know, get into it, and we need to we need to get into it. And so, it's a great point, Mark. Sometimes, I think that's what Sissy was. Talking. Sometimes people cannot do it themselves, and we need to we need to help them. Friends, this this is so much more we can say about this. It just it it's it's it just requires nitty gritty real community that loves the gospel. And one thing I didn't mention in this, and I think if you guys have been around Crosspoint for a while, you know that this is just, I think, a clear biblical truth that we, we touch on a lot. Talked about causes, others, ourselves, body illnesses, culture, Satan. Friends, let's not siphon off these five or six causes as if they are independent from the providence of God. Even the worst things that touch us in this world are still under God's providence and sovereignty. And nothing, nothing happens to us, even the worst things, 
outside of his fatherly, providential good care for us. I mean, either Romans 8.28, which says he works all things together for our good and his glory, is true or it's not true. And all things includes depression or it doesn't include anything at all. And so in some way that's hard for us to piece together, God is over and superintending everything in our lives to wean us from this world and to woo us to heaven. And so let's not siphon off this very difficult issue as kind of a separate little box from God's providence. But let's put it under and know that we go to a God who's good and know that the things that await us, as C.S. Lewis says, the things that are ahead are far, far better than the things that we'll leave behind. Let's pray, and I'll stick around. Lord, thanks for these friends and their patience, and um, so much more can be said. If there's anything that was said tonight that was unhelpful by me, I pray that you would let it fall to the ground and be forgotten. Otherwise, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged, and that people in this room and in this church that may be struggling with depression or in the future may, and I would, I know I will and have, I pray, Lord, that we would uh, that we would find a, a culture of grace and healing and gospel health here for the glory of your name and for the good of your people. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. God bless, folks. I'll stick around.